We need to recognize as Christians that it is not a mature position to just come down on everything black and in white. a very black and white way. Yeah. Paul's answers are grey, yeah. and therefore, if we let Scripture be our guide, we have to agree that yeah. when it comes to complicated problems, yeah. we must anticipate that the answer to those complicated problems are going to require yeah. nuances. Welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Today, we have a special repeat guest with us, Dr. Bruce Lowe, a favorite seminary professor at Reformed Theological Seminary and a voice of biblical wisdom. Today, we are discussing Christian liberty and how to handle differing opinions within the Christian church. Together, we'll explore the delicate balance between conviction and grace, navigating the complexities of disagreements within the Christian faith, and understanding when to hold our beliefs with a closed hand and when to embrace Christian liberty. Settle in and prepare for a thoughtful and inspiring candid conversation. Today, we're thinking about how isolated we can feel in Christian community. We feel the pressure to conform, and we feel this need to align ourselves with people who only align with a vast majority of our views. And we don't have open channels of conversation with people who may disagree on big issues and small issues. And we know that as Christians, there are certain things that we hold with a closed hand, and there are many things that we hold with open hands. This is issues of Christian liberty. And so I've invited Bruce to come and help lead us through a conversation about Christian liberty. So, Bruce, thank you so much for being with us again. Great to be here, Jonathan. (laughs) It's yours. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, You and I have been chatting some more about this before we got together, and uh, we both agree that this is a tricky subject. Yeah. Um, It just feels like there's lots of moving parts, you know, and that always makes for a difficult conversation. Yeah. It's obvious that we know that truth matters. Yes. And so because truth matters, when we see error around about us, we start to wonder, you know, to what extent am I responsible to step into that space and have a voice into that space? Yeah. And then we feel guilty sometimes that we haven't stepped into that space and said something, but other times we do step into that space and say something. Or we always step into that space. Right. (laughs) That's right. Be too much. And uh, we get labeled as the person who steps into that space. Right, exactly. And then we kind of double down and second guess. You know, it was interesting that just yesterday a student came to me and said, I'm the person, I'm the kind of theological policeman, and help me because I feel like I'm overstepping my bounds. Yeah. What exactly does this mean? Oh, so that's right on. This is exactly the topic. You well, know, and, about here. you know, for those listening at home, if you're wondering, you know, specifically what we're talking about, I mean, this, again, as we said, it can range in topics, uh, rather, it can range in subject matter and issues that come up in your life. We've just finished the Reformation Halloween holiday, and I know that there's a lot of points of contention about whether you let your kids go out and trick-or-treat, and there seems to be a lot of, you know, images of demonic things and and the raising of the dead and, you know, skeletons and all that sort of thing. So it's (laughs) how much do you introduce your kids to culture? You know, do you balance that with a 
the right biblical teaching or is it that you just let them be a part of it because it's just fun? And I've seen lots of friends who have become engaged in heavy debate just on that issue. And now that could continue on through the holidays. You know, do you do bunnies and eggs at Easter? Do you do Santa Claus at Christmas? And I know you'll, you'll probably cite this, but you know, what schools do I send my kid to? Um, because people do want to step into that space yeah. and there might be a, a space for that. Uh, and so that's kind of just to kind of set the stage for us a little bit more firmly. These are the issues we're talking about. Yeah. And, and I mean, if I could just even muddy the water even further. Yeah, please. Yeah. When your children become teenagers and when they start to gain some agency uh, mm-hmm. at the point that when they're young, you are their agent, you are the one who, right. who in a sense dictates things. But what about when there's that transition happening yes. there? If you're the person who's being that police officer for everybody else um, yes. and you're doing that for your own kids, often I see that that's the same person who struggles to, yeah. to work out how to navigate it with their own children, to give yeah. them freedom and space. Yeah. If things are kind of controlled right to the, the, all the 11th way through. hour when yeah. they leave and they go off to college, then all of a sudden they're, they're free and there can be a reaction against that agency of the parents. So, you know, this is huge. This delves into the, the dynamics of how you transition with your children and yeah. raise them, you know, into those teenage years. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a huge topic. I reckon, you know, the best on-ramp is Scripture. Yeah. And the best on-ramp is Scripture not just read as an isolated, you know, proof text here yeah. or even a proof chapter. Mm. But I would love to even kind of navigate into first corinthians as Mm. an entire letter yes um because what's so interesting about first corinthians is that it contains many many issues it's clear that the corinthians are divided they're divided over the question of marriage and singleness they're divided over the question of food sacrifice to idols yeah they're divided over the question of head covering over the lord's supper yeah you know they're divided over spiritual gifts yeah so there's it's a congregation that's divided yes now paul is therefore faced with this very question how do I approach mm. a congregation that's divided? Mm. And this is where we need to go back as readers and look at chapter one. Yeah. Because what Paul does in the, in the purpose statement of the letter, actually, is that he says that he wants them to be of one mind. And what he goes on to talk about is a couple of chapters later is the idea of us having the mind of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, you know, who knows this mind of a man except the spirit of a man? And yeah. he talks about how we have the mind of Christ. So he ends and up the talk- spirit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the possibility even mm. of, of unity for Paul doesn't boil down to simply working out the right answer to yes. every question. Yeah, there's room for disagreement. Exactly. But you still built into the unity in the body of Christ with the mind of Christ you know, having the spirit. And I think that's such an important thing that I think we, we can so easily forget because we think we need to have the exact same view, take, conclusion on every single issue. And I think that's where we find our disagreement, our points of differences, and which leads to argumentation and thinking, you know, this, this person's reprobate and needs to be cast out, you know, right. it, and that's not helpful. I think this is a fantastic start to the conversation in terms of laying that groundwork of where we're launching from. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's some real practical stuff in First Corinthians that mm-hmm. I would even love to talk about next, Yeah, you know, that I, I think really do speak to this issue 
um, how do you disagree? Like mm. having a, a theology mm. of disagreement, mm. as it were, yeah. uh, knowing when I need to say stuff, when I shouldn't say stuff, when does my own responsibility or where does my own responsibility begin and end? when it comes to other believers. Yeah. So I think that's huge. And I think we've got to speak to this very directly and say that the centerpiece of the entire discussion as it reaches its climax near the end of 1 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians 13 mm, and the chapter yes. about love. Yes. And see, again, that can be hijacked by people. Yes. And therefore, it can get blacklisted as a concept that love really matters and so it's like, hey, if you don't let me live this kind of lifestyle, you don't love me, Christian, you don't love yeah. me. And therefore, you're against First Corinthians 13. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> again, you know, it's so easy for a scripture to get hijacked. But let's give it an honest reading here. And let's see that, no, 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 this is still the centerpiece. And that Paul believes with all his heart that the only way the Corinthian problem is going to be solved yeah. is when people are filled with the Holy Spirit which gives them the mind of Christ, and when there's Christian maturity happening, and then they're going to know where and when and how they they need to speak up and step in, when they yeah. need to give freedom and leeway to the yeah. other person. Um, this is the only way that the solution is really going to come about, um, yeah. when, when those things are happening. And yet Paul knows that he still has to deal with these controversies between yeah. people. So I think the beautiful thing about First Corinthians is that Paul is, in one sense, an idealist, that he believes in the ideal of the work of God and the possibility that the work of God is going to take place in the lives of Christians and they're going to become mature mm. to the point where they're able to navigate together and for themselves and together as a, as a church how to work through issues together. Yeah. So he believes, I mean, there's an optimism about First Corinthians that is just wonderful. And it's yeah. an optimism where Paul does not believe that his own answers to their questions are actually the key to the questions themselves. Right. That he believes that there's a deeper unity that is caused by God and that there's a deeper unity that when the Holy Spirit breeds the fruit of the Spirit, which, of course, according to Galatians 5, starts with love, mm -hmm. that when true love is, is enacted, then that will be the solution. And yet, Paul is still willing to engage in those questions. So we kind of get a beautiful two bites of the cherry here. We yeah. get the ideal, which would be good for us to come back to all the time and keep yes. circling back into. Yeah. But we also then get the dynamics of Paul's actual dealing with key controversial topics of the day. They weren't the same controversies. Sure. They weren't the, the Halloween and homeschooling mm, and, and right. you know, COVID masks and, right. and vaccines and all of those things. Right. They, right. they were a very different kind of set of problems. They were their own set of problems. Yeah. And we can definitely derive principles from those. Well, and I think the person listening also needs to remember, you know, this isn't an episode to make you feel like, oh, I've done that and now I feel terrible. And But rather, you know, the Lord can use those things for his purposes. In fact, he says he will. And so it's not a thing where you need to feel like you need to be mistake free. You're still going to continue to step into things you shouldn't and not step into things you should. And like, that's going to continue on. But the key, I think, is kind of the what the portrait you've been painting for us, which is a sense of what Paul talks about in terms of we're growing in maturity. We're growing in our wisdom and our love. And as those things flourish and develop and grow, then these issues become a little bit easier. Yes. Uh, they don't necessarily go away, but I think the thought process becomes 
a little bit easier. And hopefully the relational capacity between individuals and groups is on a better footing. So I just want to kind of add that caveat before we jump. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Well, you know, look, I mean, just to jump one step further into First Corinthians, one of the things that I always tell my students when we start a study on First Corinthians is that Paul does not give childish answers to mm. complicated problems. Yeah. You know, when you ask the question to jump into one example, food sacrifice to idols, you right. know, is it right for a Christian to go down to the market and buy a piece of meat that has been, first of all, sacrificed to idols? And, and honestly, in the ancient world, that would have been the case. You wouldn't want to waste the life of an animal. You know, you could just slit its throat behind the shop right. and bring it out, drain it, you know, bring it out and sell sure. it. But why not have it sacrificed first and then you can kind of get some income from that process and then yeah. you get to use the meat later. So it's kind of, you know, it's an economic thing right. that the meat at the meat market is going to be offered to, to idols yeah. probably. Right. And so the question is, well, should I be eating this food that's sacrificed to an idol mm. um, as a Christian? You know, has the has the the food been tainted somehow? And you can understand how some Christians were struggling with that, and other Christians were okay with it. And there you go. You know, they were right in the thick of a, a question. Now, Paul's answer is never in any of these cases, whether it be food sacrifice to idols, whether it be marriage, whether yeah. it be you know um, the Lord's Supper, whatever it be. His answer is constantly yes, but. This, mm-hmm. yes, but in some circumstances this, in other circumstances that. And so if I could kind of just present this as an overall statement, we need to recognize as Christians that it is not a mature position mm. to just come down on everything black and in white. a very black and white way. Yeah. Paul, Paul's yeah. answers are gray, yeah. and therefore if we let Scripture be our guide, we have to agree that yeah. when it comes to complicated problems, yeah. we must anticipate that the answer to those complicated problems are going to require yeah. nuances. Yeah. And what you're not saying is that there are doctrinal issues that are not black and white. Right? Paul's Correct. very clear in other areas about you know, the essentials of the faith. We're talking about what you said, complicated issues, which is our topic on Christian liberty, or as you put it, a theology of a disagreement. I think that's probably what we're going to name this episode, actually. I love that. So that's the nuance uh, exactly. position that we're taking here. Exactly. Okay. And that's that's yeah. the danger here again, isn't yeah. it? The extremism that yes. says, oh, you're saying that, you know, there's no truth and everything's relative. No, 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 not at all. No. Because like in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is willing to say, you know what? When it comes to the resurrection, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, then all is lost. Oh, yeah. So there's a very strong black and white statement being made there mm. with reference to that. And when you move into, say, the subject of the Lord's Supper, you know, he's saying, look, there's a practicality here. Some people, uh, God's judgment is happening here in the community because of the way that you're doing this wrong. Yeah. So he's not saying that there's no concretes. Absolutely not. And none of us, no one would ever say that. It's Again, it's only when we run to these kind of like desires of extremism to say, yeah. We're wanting to push that to an extreme as well. Now, we're talking about complicated issues. We're talking about non-essentials, yeah. you know, and having liberty in between those non-essentials. Okay, but here's the catch, though. How does one distinguish between essentials and non-essentials, right? Because someone might be saying, yeah, but that example, it feels like you need to have a yes or no answer to it. Where do you draw the line on, well, this is a an essential, this is a non-essential? How do you, you know, sort of lay that out? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Look, I think that this is such an important topic as well, because I think for a lot of people, 
everything would seem essential. You know, you can kind of trace a trajectory yeah. that says, okay, if if I don't speak up to these Christian mums who I'm speaking to as a fellow mum, and I don't strongly encourage them not to let their kids go trick-or-treating, yeah. then what's going to happen? Their kids are going to get into the occult. And, you know, and so you kind of trace this trajectory yeah. that then creates this massive weight on people. And I, I think that, you know, and, and it can be very sincere in yeah. a lot of cases. Oh, without a doubt. Um, you know, I mean, on a lot of church doctrinal issues that separate churches, you know, there can be this kind of idea that, this is so important about obedience and God is a God of truth. And therefore any truth that's kind of dumbed down is going to be offensive. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of this tracing of a trajectory. So I would say the difficulty in all of this mm-hmm. is that every Christian, once we go down this track of kind of tracing the trajectory mm-hmm. of implications, yeah. um, everything's essential. Everything becomes essential. Yeah. And so I think we've got to stop, doing that we've got to stop kind of saying okay what's the implications here and we've got to start with the core issue to start with yes so the core issue of does the bible speak specifically or with strong principles to a particular issue yeah or doesn't it right and and if it doesn't speak to it then what right do we have to kind of join certain dots that are sort of a bit, you know, yes. Yes. and kind of to navigate into the importance of it? Again, if we leave aside this idea of the trajectory of the one A leads to B necessarily leads to C and D and E, like yeah. the, the kids going into the occult. Right. Um, if we leave that aside, which I, I feel like is, is not a helpful route, we then go back to the core issue itself. And we need to ask the question, is this core issue being spoken of in Scripture or not? Now, mm-hmm. let me give you some examples of where there are some quite extraordinary things that could have been spoken about mm. which don't receive attention. And, yeah. and one is entertainment. Yeah. In the ancient world, entertainment was a big deal. You know, we have um, the games and all of these kinds of things happening. Yeah. And... The Bible just actually doesn't speak to them, you know, yeah. and Paul could have in many occasions or the New Testament authors in many occasions could have stopped and said, you know what, Christians shouldn't be wasting their time, yeah. you know, going down to these games or, you know, there's certain blood sports and Christians shouldn't be doing this and doing it. You know, yeah. we need to realize that it, that they weren't living in a bubble, that they were living in a society where yeah. these things were happening all yeah. around about all them. around them. Yep. And, you know. You could say things like, well, there was sexual practices taking place in some of these pagan festivals, you know, and and often they were very public. And again, those things aren't even spoken about. Mm. It seems like the Christians believe that more and more as there's maturity in the heart, then the Holy Spirit's going to be able to guide people to know where and when and how to do certain things. Mm. So I think we've got to be just super careful to not speak to issues and make them essentials where the Bible doesn't make them essentials. I think that is an extremely important point to be made. I think you're right on with that. And I think this is an important thing of understanding yourself. Mm. So if you know you have a, a weakness or a proclivity towards something, you know, what the Spirit's not going to be telling you, giving you the green light to go to something like that, right? But yes. that's now within you as an individual and not a hard and fast rule that you have to create for everyone else. That might not be an issue for someone else who can go and, and have enjoyment and, you know, have opportunities for whatever. So I think that's a really important sort of addition that we put in there for that. I think that's helpful. So where we have gone with this conversation here too, is like, we've kind of talked about the fact that 
Paul doesn't give baby answers. Yeah. He doesn't give childish answers to complicated problems. Yeah. And so I think the other thing to recognize is the dignity mm-hmm. of people who have different opinions. Mm. See, it's easy to have a judgmental spirit and to immediately think, okay, this person's being worldly. This person yeah. doesn't care. This person, you know, and again, this happens with the kind of party spirit that's happening yeah. today. You know, you come across a certain uh, other Christian who might, um, let's say have a certain view about the environment, about global warming or something. And then it's like, okay, it's immediately assumed in this kind of ad hominem argument yeah. that because they believe that, then they must believe this and believe that. And there's an immediately a suspicion about yeah. them. We want to categorize people. Yeah. Right? We want to put them in camps and categories. They're liberal, they're woke, they're That's right. fill in the blank. And honestly, it's because we're lazy. <laughs> we're, we're lazy in our, sure. in our thinking. Yeah. It's easier, quite frankly, uh, to just write someone off you yeah. know, and to say, I don't want to deal with that issue. You know, yeah. We feel also like if we have been drawn into that area, into that space where we have to wrestle like Paul does, I'll yeah. repeat it again, yeah, in 1 yeah. Corinthians, yeah. where he has to wrestle through the nuances of things, then we feel in danger. We feel kind of wrong-footed. It feels much safer to stay within our camp, yeah. to stay within yes. our fixed boundary of position. Yeah. And the actual act of engagement and the fear that we might come to a nuanced position um, can cause conscience issues for people. Yeah, You know, Paul says, well, okay, there's nothing wrong with the meat that's yes, sacrificed right. to an idol. And he's kind of presenting a, a fairly reasonable position. He's like saying, you know, it's meat, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a thing. The idol is nothing. Yeah the, yeah, the idol is nothing. It's a block of wood. You have yeah. a piece of meat or a block of, uh, you know, whatever the material is, and you have the meat, and so be it. The meat, you know, it's a physical object. It can't be tainted, and so it shouldn't be a problem. But if your brother, mm. whose conscience is weak on the issue, thinks there's a problem, yeah. then you need to take your brother into account. Now, there's something that needs to be said here, very, very important. The danger that Paul is recognizing is that if by eating you lead your brother to go against his or her conscience, your yeah. brother or sister, to yeah. go against his or her conscience, and to then do what's against their conscience. In other words, to lead them to say, well, I don't know if I should be doing this, and I don't know that God's pleased with this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Then that's where sin is, actually. Mm. You're sinning because you're, you're kind of saying, I don't really care what God thinks about this. Right. So this needs to be spoken of, I think. This needs to be made very clear. Yeah. There are a lot of circumstances where the person who disagrees with you is never going to be drawn into your behavior pattern. Mm. It's not because they have a conscience issue. It's actually because they have a a very strong opinion about it. So let's say uh, drinking alcohol, for example. Let's say you're at a meal with somebody and they have very strong opinions that they shouldn't drink alcohol. Then impose that upon other people. Right. If you then order alcohol, you say, well, that person could come back and say, well, you are going against First Corinthians because you are. But, but the answer is, no, 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 I'm actually not making you stumble because you're not going to order a beer because I order a beer. Right. In fact, you're going to be mad that I order a beer, potentially. And so I think we've got to differentiate the, this again. This, this passage yeah. is about the person who's struggling, and it's about mm. the act of love yes. in not wanting to, them to stumble. Yes. So if we're looking outside of ourselves mm. and we're constantly thinking, how can I keep from drawing somebody out of outside of where their conscience allows them to be? Those are the principles that are at work here. Mm. And again, it's a very different situation from this party spirit and this yeah. kind of clashing yeah. of, of ideas. Now, if we carry on that discussion just a little bit further, uh, Paul then goes on to the question of 
what about participating in an idol feast? Yeah. You know, and he, he goes, now, hang on, that's a different situation. Right. Because now you've got a religious ceremony. Right. And now you've got the worship of demons, et cetera, et cetera. And he kind of says, no, you shouldn't do that. So his answer is very nuanced. Mm. And, and his, his answer then, even with non-Christians, is nuanced because he says if a non-Christian invites you to their house and you want to go, um, then you go. And see, even there's liberty there, actually, yeah, if you right. want to go. Right. And he says, when you go, and if someone raises an issue about, oh, this was that sacrifice to an idol, should you be eating it? He says, don't eat it for conscience sake. And he says, not your conscience, because you're totally free, but for right. their conscience. You don't have time at a meal to explain the nuances you know, <laughs> right, the yeah. of the party atmosphere <laughs> yeah. that it's like, well, hang on, actually, technically I'm allowed because yeah. Yeah. all they're going to do is make a quick judgment on you and they're going right. to say, okay, clearly you have no regard for God and, and clearly yes. you're kind of morphing into paganism here. Yeah. What message are you going to send there? So in that situation, Paul says, well, actually, you shouldn't do that. So there are stipulations about right and wrong. Paul is willing to navigate and he's willing to make judgment calls on certain things. Mm. But his judgment calls are incredibly nuanced. Yeah. And again, if I could double back on this and just yeah. say that our challenge here, I think the first step is really recognizing that it is biblical to come to a nuanced position on things. I think mm. that a lot of people struggle because their conscience hasn't gone beyond the position of being able to have a nuanced position. Yeah. I think that they simply struggle to have that as a disposition. Sure. And like I said, some of it is a conscience issue feeling like if I go down this path, if I actually dialogue with somebody who has a different opinion to me, then I may compromise. Right. And, and so it's a conscience issue. But I also think, to be frank, it's a, it's a laziness issue. It's a yeah. mental laziness issue. Mm. There can be a laziness, and I'm sorry to listeners if I'm being a little um, frank here. but um, <laughs> Being candid. I'm being candid, yeah. That, that there, there can be a mental laziness that people aren't prepared to think through biblically what is and isn't allowed and what yeah. are some of the nuances and what are some biblical principles yeah. that can help. Or even to just engage in the conversation with someone yeah. and to have that in a helpful manner. But you're right. We almost crave the black and white because it's simple and it's easy for me to know what I can and can't do and what I should be telling, you know, my fellow Christians, what they can and can't do right. again on nuanced issues. And the problem with this is that you can't run away and hide on the disengagement question, because like, if you've got kids, then it's going to happen. Yeah. As they try to navigate this, yes. the black and white, if you don't help them to navigate those questions and you're not able to navigate those questions, you're yeah. not actually positioned to help them and transition them towards adulthood. Yeah. So this is no small issue. The, mm -hmm. the inability to, to move beyond just a very simple, simplistic way of, of thinking about issues yeah. is no small issue. It's And I'll say it again. The, the reason, though, for, for those of us who are listening who are convinced that God has been pleased to give us so many precious gifts, and one mm. of the precious gifts being Scripture itself, yeah. that Scripture is being given to us in its richness, in its nuancing, and it's biblical. It's 100% biblical to look at First Corinthians and see that Paul is refusing to give simplistic baby childish answers yeah. to complicated problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was kind of the issue with the Corinthian church. <laughs> yeah. They wanted the baby answer. And there's where a lot of the differential was. That's right. You know, this group said yes, this group said no. What's the answer, Paul? And that's interesting that he does. He comes into the, into the gray area and says, that's right. and yet your commonality again is not going to be on the solution or the answer to this particular nuanced question. 
it still goes back to your foundation in Christ and the spirit and the love that because of him, you now hold with one another, which I'm glad that you've come back, circled back, back around to that. And I love you. There's something you said earlier that I wanted to write down because I think it's an important factor we need to think about. And I think we often forget, which is that we need to step outside of ourselves in a lot of these situations. Um, I remember talking with someone recently and I was telling them about a, um, a particular family and I could tell their immediate reaction was, oh, you know, almost like, why would they do that? Or why would they allow that in their family? And then they said, you know, we don't know what's going on with that family. You know, we don't know what's going on inside the relationships and the dynamics. So it was really kind of uh, a great reminder to me that it's like, we need to just just pause for a second and not jump to a conclusion, you know, oh, they're out because they're making these terrible decisions, but rather there's a reasoning behind what they're doing. And then that's, right. you know, that's an opportunity to step in for ministry and not to hammer people with black and white, but rather to help navigate some of the nuanced things in a helpful way right. um, rather than, you know, to the student who came to you and said, I like to police everything. You know, I think, I think we're all easy to be police officers yes. um, and calling things right and wrong. Yeah. Well, where should we go from here? <laughs> this has been so helpful to me, just even in my own, you know, thinking about just different situations that, that we face, even from a church perspective and relationally. And um, I think what might be helpful to add to this is the, the idea, too, of the diversity of the body, which is a theme again in First Corinthians, you yeah. know, that one member of the body and now he's talking about spiritual gifts of yeah, course but yeah, yeah. but but there's a richness to the body isn't there there's a richness to who people are and this is the beautiful thing that mm. the lord doesn't just kind of collapse us all into the same sort of monochrome yeah. um situation and and that's a beautiful thing you know i mean you might have a person mm. who um just has an absolute love for nature for the yeah. environment yeah, yeah. for god's creation mm. And they've read and they've thought about some of the implications, for example, of single-use plastic, to, to just kind of pick a subject here, which I feel like is slightly less controversial than some <laughs> others, but uh, it may, that may still be. Um, you know, they say they, they're aware of the dynamics of what happens mm. with when mm. plastic bags wash mm. in the ocean mm. and, you know, fish and, and whales and bigger uh, animals swallow them and die. And, you know, yeah. so, so some of these dynamics, and they say, you know what, this is single-use plastic. These plastics don't biodegrade, and we, we want to do something about it. Now, what does that Christian do? They have strong convictions about this. Yeah. What do they do with reference to other Christians? Do they decide that they're going to become the champion for this? And again, they, they join the dots and they say, um, every Christian should feel strongly about this because yeah. um, this is God's creation we're talking about here. And these are animals that God has made. And, yeah. and we and Adam was and, and Eve were, you know, were responsible in the garden to care for the garden. So yeah. we should be looking after the, the world, which is all absolutely true, by yeah, the way. That's right. And, and so they trace that, that trajectory and they come to a very reasonable position that um, it's know, a stewardship use, issue. Yeah. yeah, that single use plastic is a bad idea. Yeah. And maybe they decide that they're even going to petition, you know, certain restaurants, certain locations. They might even go to the government and petition them on this. And, and what do we say to that? How do we respond to that? The problem is that we feel like we've got to have an opinion on that. And that person can also feel like we've got to agree with them or else 
And so all of a sudden it becomes this big issue between us. Why can't we just say that there's diversity in the body? Mm. That person A has very strong views mm. about petitioning the government with reference to abortion. Yeah. Person B has very strong views about petitioning the government when it comes to um, the homeless mm. and, and sex trafficking and single-use plastic. And, and, and what, what, what happens when all of those things start happening? We, we can celebrate the diversity of the body mm. and the conviction of people within the body and their own conviction of going out into the world yeah. and making a difference. And, and maybe, maybe we, we do interact with those people, but we don't feel guilty like that we're not joining that march with this particular right. thing. And that person is not trying to make us feel guilty. Yeah. So I think this kind of this idea of um, where does my own conviction lie yeah. and, and letting that dictate things. So a passage besides First Corinthians uh, eight to ten on the on the whole food sacrifice to idols. Romans mm. fourteen and fifteen. Paul deals with the mm. question of certain convictions. Yeah, and he says, you know, one man considers one day more important than another. Uh, another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. Now, the beautiful thing about that is, Paul's not saying each one should dumb down their opinion <laughs> right. and not have a strong conviction. Right. He actually says it's okay. You should be fully convinced in your mind. So this is not about, yeah. you know, like being having no opinion at all on anything, right? right? So this is a, a neat thing, again, Scripture teaches us. He should be fully convinced in his own mind. But then what should he do with reference to his brother? Mm-hmm. Now he's fully convinced. Now he's kind of charged up about every day being alike or one day being more important than another. And this feels like a recipe for a huge explosion to take place. But Paul's conclusion then is each one should keep their conviction to themselves. Mm. And his statement there even anticipates this whole sense of, well, yeah, but what about the trajectory that that person might be on if they... You know, if everyone around me still is is using single use plastic and they're they're you know uh, contributing to the problem, then what's going to happen? How's this going to change? You know, blah blah blah. And we could go on. Paul says, to his own master, he will stand or fall, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Hmm. So there's a sense in which knowing where our own responsibility begins and ends in certain situations, Mm. even situations where we have strong convictions about marginal issues. The answer is that we need to leave it up to the the master of that person. And the master of that person is not us. Mm. The master of that person is the Lord and that we can entrust. You know, so even that statement is is quite powerful if you stop and think about it for a second. You know, to his own master, who are you, he says right before that, to judge another man's servant. Yeah. And so it's like, you're actually transgressing your boundaries mm. in certain situations, mm. whatever they may be, and we can debate, you know, where the boundary line lies. Yeah. But wherever it lies, there is definitely a scenario where you and I transgress the boundary by trying to dictate to another person's servant what they should do on a particular issue. Mm. And they are servants of God, and we are servants of God mm. and of the Lord Jesus. And so... You know, again, Christians immediately often back away from this and say, yes, but this sounds like a recipe for, you know, just letting things run amok. And, right. And this sounds like a recipe for just taking our hands off the wheel and not. not. But hang on a second. We have to push back into that passage and say that passage has to apply somewhere. There mm-hmm. has to mm-hmm. be certain things where we leave it up 
to that person's master, the Lord himself, to mm. convict that person. Mm. And we mind our own business, quite frankly, yeah. on that issue. And I think that it would be good for listeners, if they're struggling with where do the boundaries lines lie, to stop and ask themselves the question, where are my boundary lines already? Where, where am I giving space to other Christians and feeling like they can have their own convictions on things? Mm. And if you struggle to work out any areas where you feel like that's the case, Mm-hmm. Um, then you need to be self-reflective and honest and say, then probably I'm not taking that passage seriously and yeah. I need to take it seriously in terms of winding things back mm-hmm. and asking mm-hmm. where are the positions of freedom that I allow other Christians to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really helpful. Now, I know that those verses, uh, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit before, but it comes from a mindset sort of in the ancient world. Um, I wonder if you could, Help us, like, put it in its context. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's a a great and very technical uh, (laughs) thesis written by Clarence Glad. The title in his title has got the word psychagogy, which is a wildly technical word. Try spelling that. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, But what he basically points out is that there was a view within philosophical schools in the ancient world that the strong among the philosophical school, that is those people who kind of knew more than other people. Yeah. It was all an intellectual thing. Um, that the weak were those who didn't know as much. And that psychagogy was about the strong having an obligation to speak into the life of the weak and to mm. correct them and to, you know, even kind of yell at them and really kind of call them out yeah, on everything. Right. Yeah. And Glad argues that there's strong evidence in that section. And, and, and again, the church in Rome would have been well familiar. And the Corinthians, we know, were siding with different philosophical schools. So sure. there's every reason to think that this, this same nuance, this same attitude had kind of crept into the church as a worldly attitude. Mm-hmm. There's strong evidence to say that Paul, even by his use of the words weak and strong, yeah. is actually dealing with this very issue. And the conclusion he has, I think, is a very subversive one. He's saying... That's not, the, you know, the own master you stand or fall is cutting against that idea that at a horizontal level, we are obliged 100% of the time to kind of uh, decide that we are the strong brother yeah. or sister in this situation and we yeah. need to correct the weaker brother. There is definitely a principle somewhere, somehow, a line lies where we need to mind our own business yeah. and allow the Lord to work in someone else's life. Yeah. And that can be hard, yeah. you know. Because we can look at that trajectory of where this is going to lead, mm. and, and that can be problematic. Mm. You know? mm. Well, and oftentimes we're the weaker brother in most of these cases, I think. <laughs> that's right. We always <laughs> like to think we're the stronger brother. That's that's, right, exactly. I'm always the one in the strong position. Yeah. I think this has been a really helpful conversation. I think we tackled a lot of different areas as we consider a theology of disagreement, as we consider uh, Christian liberty issues. Um, I think this has probably given people enough to sit back and digest for a week even. Um, And so, you know, we recommend, of course, always go back to the word, go back, look through first Corinthians and um, read through Romans 14 and 15 and, and get a sense of what do you feel like the Lord's calling you to do. If you're a person who is very opinionated and you, you're insisting on your way on, on some of these issues that, that are liberty issues and not uh, essential issues, I think it's, it's worth a, a reevaluation. And if you feel like you're a person who's a weak and a weak person in terms of, you know, you're not sure what you think on a lot of things, 
that's okay. Don't feel like you need to be convinced by everybody through their argumentation. You know, maybe it's, it's, this is about your relationship with the Lord. He is your master. You need to seek his wisdom in, in um, these various areas that you face in daily life. And I think, um, I think we'll all be okay. Dr. Bruce Lowe, always such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for such a robust, helpful conversation on this issue. Absolutely. Well, great to be with you again, Jonathan. God bless. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.